Welcome to the Seven Hats Podcast. My name is Yuval Selig, and I've been on the entrepreneurial roller coaster for over 20 years. I've experienced it all throughout my journey the grind, burnout, failure, and ultimately, success. The turning point for me was realizing that building a successful company is meaningless if you neglect the other significant areas of your life. So today, I'm inviting you to join me on an adventure through those seven areas what I call Seven Hats. Every week, my guests and I will drop valuable insights and pearls of wisdom, helping, motivating, and inspiring you to get your seven hats in order and deliver real impact with meaning. So let's get going. Welcome, Seven Hatters. I hope you enjoyed part one of last week's 25th Milestone episode, where I recapped the segments that impacted me the most from our first 11 guests. The good news, we're not done yet. We have 10 more guests to go to complete the roundup. Also, make sure to tune in until the end as I will share a meaningful and impactful segment I call Yes, You Can't, No, You Can. Believe me, you don't want to miss it. We have a fun-filled show, so without further ado, let's get to one of my favorite episodes of all, episode 15 with none other than Sean Wells, the world's leading nutritional biochemist and expert on health optimization. Sean has a truly inspiring story to tell about overcoming incredible challenges throughout his life. And this segment of the episode says so much about how so many of us entrepreneurs live our lives. I was a perfectionist because I was bullied, because I was abused in a number of relationships I had growing up. It set a tone for me to bully and abuse myself. I was never good enough. It was always short of perfection. Like if anyone talked to you like you talked to you, you wouldn't be their friend. And I was relentless on myself. Did I end up accomplishing a lot? Yes, I've accomplished a lot. I feel blessed for that and and to some degree it served me and and it set the table for me to have empathy. It set the table for me to to understand the pain. But at the same time, I know now that It's not sustainable, it's not healthy, and I have tried to grant myself grace. I have tried to change the inner voice to be one of the inner champion instead of the inner victim. I'm no longer blaming the world for everything that goes on around me or blaming myself. I just know that the universe is always working on my behalf and there's always lessons to be learned and there's always new opportunities and challenges and I relish those. And that is the idea that the obstacle is the way. And that's that stoic mindset. That's a resilient mindset. When you have a resilient mindset, you can have a resilient body that can bounce back from just about anything. And when you have a mindset that is fixed on victimization and being broken, your body will remain broken. Your mindset will remain broken. And that's where I was. I had a broken mindset, a broken body. I wanted to take my life often. I lived in a state of depression and anxiety. I felt imperfect with my performance at just about everything. And that became ingrained in me that I suck. No matter how good I did, no matter how much accomplishments I had, I never I never took the time to enjoy these amazing accomplishments I had. I always thought, well, it's just not enough. I'm not there yet, wherever there was. 
because they were all steps and they were all amazing accomplishments. You know, when I became certified as a sports nutritionist or eventually I became a fellow in that same group, which is a big deal, but I never celebrated any of these things, none of them. I never celebrated a single thing and I have a very incredible track record, but it's, it's sad. Like it, it's sad that I did all that and never enjoyed any of it. I always felt like I was serving and helping people and that was a mission, but I thought the way I achieve my greatness is by sacrificing myself. And that's what a good person does, is sacrifices. And I didn't realize that your cup needs to be overflowing and the people around you get the overflow from your cup instead of taking from your cup. That's where self-care is so important. That's where self-love is so important. Those are things I didn't realize at the time. How powerful was that? I'm sure some of you relive some dark moments in your lives by relating to Sean's story, including me. I'm that perfectionist who works 100-hour weeks for years now, sacrificing myself for some future goal. And to tell you the truth, I've accomplished so much. And like Sean, I usually didn't celebrate the wins. It's always a moving goalpost to nowhere. What really hit home for me was when Sean said that the universe is always working on our behalf and that there is always a lesson to be learned and that we must try to break out of a victim mindset and replace it with a victor mentality. And the only way we can do this is to focus on hat number one, the golden hat. The hat I call the soul, the self-love and self-care hat. Because if we are to follow Sean's advice, we can't just fill our cup. We have to allow it to overflow so we can give out the overflow of our cup instead of taking from our cup. In episode 16, I interview an up-and-coming entrepreneur, fellow podcast host, coach, and an overall great guy. After a terrible car accident, Alan Lazaros turned his life around and is now inspiring entrepreneurs to be their best holistic selves, taking care of their health, their wealth, and love, the three main facets of a successful and incredible life. Let's see what Alan had to say about wanting to be successful versus actually achieving those results. So our thing is like health, wealth, and love. So health is physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. Wealth is how do you make your money? In other words, do you love what you do? How much do you make? And is that growing or decreasing over time? And where do you invest your money? That's wealth. And then you have love, which is friends, family, intimate relationship, colleagues, clients, mentors, mentees, all that. It's great. Health, wealth, and love. The the three main facets of a successful, incredible life. I've never met someone who doesn't want to be healthier, who doesn't want to be wealthier, and who doesn't want to be more in love. Those are amazing virtues. Of course, we all want that. Wanting is the easy part, but anyone can want. And I think what's interesting, and and the best way I can probably articulate this, I remember I was on stage and I was giving, uh, I used to be a fitness coach and a fitness model, and I, I was giving a fitness speech. I remember asking the audience, I said this, I said, I want everyone to ask themselves a simple question. This is about fitness, mind you. A simple question. What is the most desirable aspect of a physique, male or female? And everyone knows the answer. It's abs. Okay? Everyone knows it's abs. Why? And I asked the audience, why is that the most desirable part of the physique? And everyone comes to the logical conclusion of it's the most difficult to get and even more difficult to sustain. And I said, I want everyone in this intelligent audience to ask themselves, what would it be like if I woke up tomorrow 
and everyone on planet Earth had a ripped six pack. And I said, guess what? It would no longer be valuable because no one had to earn it. Because when everyone has it, it's not as valuable. What I wanted everyone to realize, it's hard to get a six pack. That's actually what makes it great. And if we can just understand that, if we can understand that hard work and earning success is actually the goal rather than actually getting the success. I was on a podcast and someone asked me, what does it mean to be next level? And I had never been asked that question before, believe it or not. And I remember I sat there and I was like, honestly, nobody's going to like my answer, but this is what I actually think it is. What do I do when no one's watching? I love speaking. I love abundance. I love this business and I love proliferating and helping people. But what matters to me more than anything else is me putting in the work and keeping the promises that I make to myself and earning success. Everyone wants success. Not everyone wants to earn success. And if you can focus on the earning, success will be a byproduct. Whereas if you focus on success, you might end up with shiny object syndrome, chasing butterflies all day. I think wanting to earn it is more important. It's what we do when no one is watching. It's hard to achieve greatness, which is why many don't. But the fact that it's so rare makes it great and makes all the hard work worth it once you accomplish your goals. In episode 17, I interviewed Dr. Kevin Fleming. And in this clip, we discuss learning to unlearn. And here's what the doc had to say. It's a very fascinating thing because what we see in neuroscience research is there's a corollary to this, right? In some of the research done in, um, at Northwestern, I believe, uh, on insight, because insight and eurekas and ahas, if you really think about it, this is the gasoline of most entrepreneurial inventions and ideas is it's not just the hard work ethic. Yes, that's given. That's awesome. Um, but there's this holy crap moment, boom, where it's like something hits you and a new way of looking at an old problem happens. Well, what have we done for years? We've done these brainstorming sessions. We've done all these horseshit kind of ways of trying to just use first order models to get a second order outcome. And what we, when we look at the neuroscience research on an insight, a eureka of that second order change moment, what we find is it's very interesting. It's not that you're doing something, it's that you're not doing something. <laughs> and what happens is you're inhibiting the desire to do something, right? So this declarative knowledge part of your brain is being suppressed by the inhibition basis on the right prefrontal, and that's pushing it down. And with the people that are making it, they're actually, in a way that we just talked about, they're unlearning learning. They are getting into a moment where they are allowing something to emerge. And we see this in another study too, but there was was a study done out in one of the uh, University of California schools um, where they took these people in in a room and they were showing, you know, colors on a screen. And all the people in the room, there were all these uh, people that had to just name the color. And there was a confederate in the room that would purposely yell the opposite color. So there, you know, yellow would be on the screen and someone this person would yell, blue! You know, and, and the people around like, what the hell's going on? That's crazy, what? So reality testing is starting to get, is starting to get attacked uh, in a very bold way. And so that what they did was they did, one group was going through this sort of dissonance making experience and another group didn't have that. They were just naming blue, yellow, green, blah, 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 blah. Then they gave them a word association test, which is a wonderful way of looking at what kind of layers of subconscious activity you can access, right? 
And so the word blue would be on that page. And the group that just had just normal telling of the colors would say ocean, sky. Okay. The group that was having the constant attacks on such violations of reality would say things like next to blue, Miles Davis, you know, jazz. It's fascinating to me. And clearly, if you were going to do some type of analysis linguistically on this, some words are more deep in their meaning than others that are more, they're more, if you had to approximately like kind of put it on a graph, we're distant in, you know, we're still related, but they weren't just the immediate uh, kind of common sense kind of stuff. And what they realized was maybe it takes way more than brainstorming. Maybe it takes this level of reality violation that in our cultures we know now, we can't seem to tolerate because everything's going to lay, everyone's going to label you with some political thing or meaning. But can we sit inside this unbelievable level of strong dissonance in love, in acceptance, in what? So we can allow this emergent consciousness to come and we can get through the first barrier over the hill into a true wisdom nugget. See, wisdom is not knowledge and knowledge is not information. These are all different constructs and they're not just Mr. Potato Head things you can just mix around. They have radically different outcomes. And we are at a place in our culture and our businesses where you need, typically when you have an intractable problem, wisdom, not uh, a mere Google search factoid. Wow, I just love that segment, especially when Kevin said, wisdom is not knowledge and knowledge is not information. These are all different constructs and they're not just Mr. Potato Head things that you can just mix around. They have radically different outcomes. And we are at a place in our culture and our business where you need wisdom, not a mere Google search. Incredible. Okay, now episode 18, I speak with one of my heroes, Don Larson, a CPG executive who gave up all his worldly possessions and toys. And let me tell you, he had all the toys in the world. To follow his faith in God and leave the safety of the United States to move his entire family to Mozambique, Africa, to start a cashew brand and donate 90% of his profits to help the locals get out of poverty. Is this CEO really nuts? Well, maybe the following story of having an AK-47 pointed in his head will give you a hint. As they went through the front gate and my son was closing the gate, guys stopped him, they had AK-47s, they pushed their way in. And my other son came in and said, mom's outside screaming. And he was really impressed because I grabbed my nunchucks and I went running through the house, out the front door, ready to do dinner. I had a stun gun in this hand. And luckily the stun gun didn't work. I don't know why it didn't work. I think God shut it down because a guy was pointing an AK-47 at my head about six, seven feet away when I went out the front door. And if I had had that stun gun cracking, he might have shot me. It stopped everything. He took my chuck. He proceeded to wanted to know, he wanted to steal the two cars, and he had my wife and my two sons on the front pavement. And so he proceeded to bring me into the house, push me all around. He was jabbing me with the gun barrel, counting down the end of my life, and I couldn't find the keys. And I was pretty calm. I was actually calmer than I should have been, probably. He was getting close to getting to zero, and so I yelled out to my wife, Terry, where are the car keys? And my wife says, Don, 
I tell you all the time to put your keys in one spot because someday you're going to really need them and you're not going to know where they are. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's going to be the last thing she hears before the gunshot. She's not going to be in a good place. And luckily the guy got to zero. He looked at me, I looked at him and he started counting again. Off they went with our cars and everything. I was just talking with someone today about this. They said, when Americans get into trouble, they go back home. And everyone expected me to go back home, the government, this, these officials. And I'm like, I'm not going back home. That doesn't bother me. I said, I came here to make change and whatever danger I'm gonna be in, I understand the cost of what I'm doing. We talked about that today, about how most people leave when the going gets tough. And my whole career has been hitting obstacles where most people pick up their marbles and they go back home. And I love hitting those obstacles. And maybe that AK-47 pushed me around was, was one of those obstacles, but I had no intention. In fact, I moved my family and about a week later, I was going home to see how my wife was. I was having, gonna have lunch with her. And on the way home, I'm like, God, what was that all about? Why, why would you switch me and do that and, and have us encounter that? And he said, almost audibly, said, Don, I'm so proud of you. Not once did you consider leaving. You actually got more galvanized when this happened. And I'm proud of you. And I sat back and I hadn't been thinking about that. I was more resolute than ever that this was gonna happen and I was gonna accomplish what he set out for me to do. And the fact that you can believe in God's good, the devil's bad, but I know that for a fact, living here, that there are a lot of forces going up against trying to do good. I just like the fact that I succeeded in that negative force coming at me and me not being phased. And so there's been many times like that. I like the fact that we continue to persevere despite what comes up against us. And there's always a solution. There's always a victory. Despite how bad circumstances appear, there's always something better over the horizon. Continue to persevere despite what comes up against us. And there's always a solution. There's always a victory, despite how bad circumstances appear. There's always something better over the horizon. I couldn't have said that better. In episode 19, we switch gears and discuss loss and grief with Emily Thoreau Threat. This is especially an important topic for entrepreneurs as we go through many rounds of loss and grief on our journey. I asked Emily to speak about blame and regret as they pertain to loss. And here's what she had to say. I think the blaming is the issue as opposed to who you blame. I think blaming is a knee-jerk reaction. I know that uh, one of the things that attributed to Ron's death, my, my last husband who died, was an intolerance for a dialysis solution that they put him on. And we couldn't get anybody to listen to us. You know, we were, we were telling him what the symptoms were and everything, and nobody had listened to us. And it was very frustrating. So it was very easy for me to blame the people who didn't listen and wouldn't make changes that caused him great suffering, actually. I had to sit down with myself and go, okay, 
this blaming's not helping anybody. What I did do, what he asked me to do, was to make sure that everything was documented and that anybody that had anything to do with it would have this case as an example so hopefully somebody else wouldn't have to go through the same thing. By, by doing that, I, I took what could have been the negativity of blame into a way to turn it around and make it to hopefully help somebody else in the future. I couldn't change what happened with him. I, I wish I could have, but I, I couldn't change it. I just, we took the best care of each other as we could while we were going through this process. And regret is, I think they're two separate things that you could have at the same time. But regret is more of maybe a self-blame. Again, regret doesn't serve you. If, if you could have done better, you would have. And regretting what you didn't do isn't going to bring somebody back. It's not going to change how things turned out. It doesn't help anybody. When you can realize that that's not serving you, that regret's not serving you, and you can release that regret, then you can go on to something more positive. It's so easy to play the blame game, isn't it? Back in 2010, when I was about to lose everything in my life, I had two choices. Blame everyone around me and the world for my current situation, or take responsibility and start working on myself from the inside out. And I chose to work on myself from the inside out. And after many years, the outside is beautiful again. I don't believe that that would have been the case if I would have blamed everyone around me back then. Episode 20 was one of my favorites as I interviewed my first Navy SEAL, William Branham. This guy is tough, and he looks like a SEAL. Which, to be honest, those guys are quite scary looking. But if you're looking to learn the discipline and strategy of success, there is probably no greater group of individuals who train to win. So I asked William what he learned about himself during BUDS, and here's his response. I think the biggest like lesson I learned about myself physically is there's always, you always have more in the tank. It doesn't matter like how tired you are, how exhausted, how whatever, like how much my legs are burning or my gut or my lungs, like how like much on fire my body is, I can still go. And I learned that I think probably mostly in, in Hell Week is I think when I really learned and I learned it a couple other times also, but there was a boat crew in Hell Week. It was boat crew three. And I noticed very early on that those guys were winning a lot of races. Like Sunday, I'm like, Boku 3 won again? Who are these guys? By Monday afternoon, we had lost enough people. They had to reshuffle the boat crews because there were like, there's seven guys in a boat crew and I'm about six foot. So you line up in a height line and they go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, boat crew one, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, boat crew two. And so I was like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five. Okay, I'm gonna be like, I'm gonna, I'm standing on the sand. I can be as tall or short as I need to be in order to be in this boat crew. And I looked around and I was like, it's all just a bunch of average dudes. Like there's no superstars in this boat crew. What is going on? And what I found is they all just had this unspoken desire to suffer in the front. And so I was part of the boat crew now. Like my job is to like win, just like they were winning before. It didn't matter how bad my legs were hurting, like how much I was gimping along, how much my lungs were on fire. My job was to keep up because if I quit on myself right now and I slow down, I'm slowing down the whole boat crew. And so I'm like, I can't do that. Like that was some personal pride. I'm like, I have to keep going. Although this sucks a lot, I'm super uncomfortable. But what I learned is, you know, being with this group of, of 
people, these men that just wanted to like win everything. You know, it was always better. We're all suffering, but it was always better to suffer in the front, like win the race than it was to suffer in the back. You can either quit or keep going. And then you can either keep going and be awesome or keep going and just be average. So we kept going and we were awesome. And we actually like, we won almost every single race so much that they they secured our boat crew like several hours early at the end of Hell Week. They're like, okay, you guys won everything. Uh, we're gonna punish the rest of the class and you guys go go take a break. You guys, you guys are done with Hell Week. Throughout the years, I have met some successful entrepreneurs. And I have to say that they share traits similar to those who train in the military. You always have more in the tank. It doesn't matter how tired you are, how exhausted. You can either quit or keep going. And then you can either keep going and be awesome or keep going and just be average. I love that. In episode 21, we touch upon story with Michael Haig. Story is so important to the entrepreneur, and there is no one better to help us understand the structure of a good story than Michael. Here is Michael teaching us the six-stage plot structure, the same framework that Russell Brunson adopted into his Epiphany Bridge methodology. Step one is the setup, and that is the everyday life that the person is living before they start pursuing whatever goal the story is about. When you ask me the question, well, tell us about your, you didn't call it your origin or setup, but you said, where, where did it sort of begin? And I told you the story about being a kid and dreaming of movies, that would be the setup. And that's also where you introduce the hero, but it's gotta be the hero's everyday life. It can't, they can't already be pursuing the goal that the story is about. Then step two is what I call the crisis. Then something happens that is gonna force that character who's kind of in a static place at the beginning, oftentimes stuck tolerating a situation that wasn't good, and it's gonna force them to move out of that setup, that, uh, that place where they're existing, and take action to do something. Now that crisis, it could be, the crisis could be something bad happens. Okay, they lose their job, or they get a big order that they can't fulfill, or they get a diagnosis that, that is negative. And so in response, they've got to figure out what am I going to do and so on. If you're in business and you're telling a story about a satisfied customer after the crisis, that's when you come into the story because the hero is actually the customer or the client. So then in that step two, the character has to formulate a specific visible finish line to cross. They have to have a goal that we can imagine what it would look like to achieve. Now, the thing that was different about us going through my life story like you did or my career story whatever you'd say is that was a series of of goals if i were to do those things like a story within that was the story about meeting will smith and the story was the story about how i went to la and so on and that's fine so you can apply these to the overarching story like you were doing but it didn't have a singular goal that you can envision. I mean, it sort of did. I wanted to be in Hollywood, but I sort of made it to Hollywood. Okay, so after the crisis and that goal is identified or set, now the story is about the hero or you, if it's your own story, wants to achieve this goal. Now the next two steps are pursuit and conflict. And that means what are the steps that you or the hero of the story has to take to get there? And most important, what are the big obstacles to overcome? Because always, 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 if you're telling a story, your number one objective before anything else must be to elicit emotion. You're telling stories to give your audience or your prospects 
an emotional experience. So they feel something. They'll make the decision intellectually to buy what you want or do what you want them to do. If they don't feel like that's the right thing to do, if they're not emotionally involved, it won't work. So the conflict, whatever those obstacles are, that's what elicits the emotion. The bigger the obstacle, the bigger the problem, the more emotionally involved we are. And then step five is the climax, the moment when the hero achieves the goal. And the step six is the aftermath. And that's where you want to convey the new life that the hero is living now that they've gone on that journey. And if you happen to be, if you're an entrepreneur and you're telling stories to get your prospects to take action that will help them change their lives through you, then you want to be sure that the aftermath for the hero of whatever story you're telling matches the life that your audience dreams of. So they've had the emotional experience of actually living, achieving and living the life that they wish they could. And now all they have to do is do it again because they've already done it once subconsciously. That's sort of the essence of it. If you haven't listened to Michael's full episode, I highly suggest you do. Remember, as an entrepreneur, some of your most valuable skills are in sales and marketing, and marketing is all about story. In episode 22, we speak with one of my favorite and most successful CPG entrepreneurs, Mike Fata. Mike took a hemp business from zero to two nine-figure exits, and that's no small feat. Trust me, I know firsthand on how hard it is to succeed in CPG. Here's Mike describing the culture of Manitoba Harvest and what it took to find success as they scaled the company. We made it a little bit more fun over the years because we know that fun is, you know, like you had to define the fun. It's e easier to be a smaller business and incorporate fun. But as a larger organization, when we had, you know, 200 plus team members that had to be more incorporated. But yeah, I think the culture and what Mantle Harvest stands for and stood for the brand and really what the value that was created that afforded, you know, the very large uh, exit was because we built a culture of quality to be now you know uh, when i left the business you know operating two manufacturing facilities totaling 80,000 square feet of manufacturing with a couple hundred team members that was certified to the to the highest level of food safety and quality which is a brc uh, AA plus with zero non-performances on the audit only like at that time the audit said like 10 facilities in north america uh, had that that rating and you can't build that without culture you know we're doing the same thing with lean manufacturing and, and identifying all these opportunities in the business and and how do we make them better for the betterment of every team member that that was there and if you hear me talk about teams you know I, that was one one example i think it was probably we were maybe seven or eight years into the business and and i was it was through whole foods you know that i, I realized oh well Whole Foods doesn't talk about employees and, and managers and owners. They, they talk, everyone's on, the, everyone's on the team. And so I adopted that we, we, and I mandated it through our business. There is no more talking about employees. There's everyone's on the team. Everyone's a team member. We changed all of our documentation in every aspect of the business to remove any concept of employee. And I think that, that those are the things that really build culture because then I, you, could, you could bring in other kind of team examples to help build that culture. And many businesses do it. I, I adopted as well using like professional sports teams, you know. Professional sports teams, you have everyone that's on the team, but it kind of self-governs that you have to you have to up your skills all the time to kind of continue to be on the team. Or if not, other team members are like, hey, John or Susie isn't holding up their, their own weight or they're not ready, they're not skating to where the puck is or whatever. And so, yeah, I always, I always liked that. And I think that was a big part of our um, uh, culture building at Mantle Harvests. 
When I launched Luvala and we were doing demos at Whole Foods, their culture was centered around the term team member. I agree with Mike. When you include everyone in one team, people suddenly step up and make sure that they are contributing to the greater whole. It no longer becomes about me. It's all about we. Good for John Mackey and good for Mike in adopting that culture. Looks like it paid off for both. In episode 23, I spoke with my favorite NASA guy, Donald James. After 35 years at NASA, Donald wrote an incredible book titled Manners Will Take You Where Brains and Money Won't, sharing the lessons and timeless wisdom he learned from his mom growing up. I asked him about his biggest failure, and his response gave me an aha moment that I will never forget. I never failed. What is true is I have often produced a result that I didn't want or didn't intend. That happens a lot. For me, I just don't like the term. Failure is an emotional term for me that I I have a hard time disassociating with me personally. So I just declare that I don't fail. What I declare is I have intentions and I get results, and many times the results I get aren't what I intended. That's what actually happened. And that's actually what really happened. I asked Susie to go to the seventh grade dance, and she laughed and said no. I didn't fail, I just didn't get the result that I wanted. She didn't go with me. End of story. So I don't mean to be funny about this, but I, often invite people to look at languaging that they use and suggest changing our languaging that works better for me. And failure as a term doesn't work for me. I I just produce a result that didn't happen. And I say, well, that, and I, and I, I use this quote, it's from the remake of True Grit and, 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 uh, Jeff Bridges is in there. He plays Rooster Cogburn, and there's this big gunfight, right? You know, he's having and everything, and 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 all his guys get killed, and then the workout, and he looks around, he goes, "Well, that didn't pan out." And I just love that phrase. It's like it didn't pan out. You know, she said no. You know, I didn't get the promotion. You know, I didn't get you know the raise I asked for. You didn't fail. You just didn't get the result. So I I just, I don't fail. I think language is so powerful and every word has meaning. Since that discussion with James, I can tell you that I will never ask anyone of their greatest failure. We are finally at episode 24, the last episode of The Bunch. And we speak with one of my favorite people of all time, Jake Carls. This guy doesn't know anything other than go. With that, we spoke about burnout, and here's what Jake said. It's just everything. It's the mental and the physical. Um, You know, it's a mix of traveling a lot, you know, consistently your mind never shutting off, Um, not doing things to meditate, in my opinion. I don't meditate, so I need to figure out other things to do that would calm me down. So I think that that just never, it's like running on a treadmill 24 seven, you're gonna get tired, right? And eventually, you know, you gotta be very careful because burnout is real and can have permanent effects. Um, And it can be very hard to jump out of that burnout. Um, So for me, I'm really focused on now figuring out what I love. So I love to read, for example, I work out, like there's some stuff, I'm playing hockey tonight. That's something like, there's things that I'm doing to get my mind off 
and allow it to actually turn off a little bit and then recharge. It's like a Tesla. You got to charge a Tesla at night, right? Sleep isn't my best, but like I said, burnout's real and entrepreneurs got to be very, entrepreneurs or anyone, not even entrepreneurs, everyone in the world needs to be very aware of when that's coming and to watch out for it and have a mitigation because it can create permanent damage. It's not like, you know, you burn out and you mentally might not be able to snap back into it. Like I swear it's, when I burnt out, it, it was a month of recovery and just in terms of getting my rhythm back. It was tough, but it was a, it was months of building. It wasn't just, okay, a month. It was months of pain before that. Burnout is real. And I have not met one entrepreneur that hasn't experienced it at least once on their journey. So listen to Jake. You must take time off for yourself and recuperate. Otherwise, the universe will force you to do it. And take my word, you don't want to fuck with the universe. I have to be honest, I felt like Casey Kasem for a couple of episodes here, counting down my top 21 most impactful segments. And honestly, each episode is like one of my children. Each is so special. And I thank every guest who delivered an incredible show for the Seven Hatters. As promised, I wanted to end with a segment I call No You Can, Yes You Can't, which stemmed from the one main takeaway so far for me. I've now interviewed 21 very successful entrepreneurs, and I was thinking about the underlying condition to their success. And from what I can tell, it's focus and execution. It's the power to say no and yes. You see, these are two of the most powerful words in our language because they determine our journey as we travel our path. From a very young age, we are taught to associate the word no with something negative, while yes holds a very positive meaning for most people. Why is that? What if every necessary no gives you the space to unlock a yes that will ultimately show up as incredible success in your life? What if a yes leads to an unnecessary burden that will sidetrack you from your goals? We are so conditioned to make everyone around us comfortable by the language we use that we suffer as a result. We forfeit saying no at our own expense, even if that no unlocks a hell yes. Remember, focus and execution are key to unlocking your ultimate potential as an entrepreneur or human being. Say yes to consuming social media and you're screwing yourself. Say yes to contributing to social media by posting content for your business, and you're on your way to success. Say yes to got a minute from your staff, and you just filled your day with urgent but potentially not important meetings. Say no to random meetings and yes to office hours, and you just found the focus and time that you need to complete that crucial project. Sometimes you have to say no at the moment, so that you can say yes at a later date when you're recharged or have the bandwidth to accomplish what matters most. Why is it that we're so comfortable saying no to ourselves at the expense of our mental and physical health? Sometimes we have to say no to our loved ones so we can be there for them in the long term. You know, when we respect our no's, we respect our yeses and vice versa. Sometimes we have to say no to that friend that sucks our soul dry like a vampire, or say no to watching TV late at night at the expense of our sleep. Sometimes we have to say yes to our spouse and no to our work so that we can cultivate our dream relationship. That's the whole point of the seven hats. It's saying no to what sucks you dry and kills your momentum 
towards succeeding as a holistic entrepreneur. W-H-O-L-E. Why? Because if you say no to the six hats and only focus on the one hat, which is your business, you will fail. And I don't care how much money you have. Success is a balancing act that focuses on the one letter I and improves on the I with the two letters no and the three letters yes. Think about it this way. One, two, three. The I and the no and the yes equals ultimate success. Remember, don't compromise yourself or your size to fit into a smaller room. Don't let your ambition rob you of your current joy. Don't let your future dreams rob you of the only thing you've got. And that is the choice to say yes and no according to your ultimate higher purpose and goals. So until next time, if you found this episode helpful, please hit that subscribe button and tell other entrepreneurs out there what value you received from it so we can attract even more high quality people into our Seven Hats community. So for now, I will bid you farewell and success on your journey. And until next time, my name is Yuval Selleck, and I tip my hat to you.